Hello, and welcome to The Roundtable, a Next Generation Politics podcast. Next Generation Politics is leading a movement of young people committed to building bridges across various divides. I'm guest podcaster Jack Flanagan, and this week, Inika, Isaiah, Madeline, and I spoke with Eric Torres, who's a doctoral student at the Harvard School of Education, about promoting dialogue across political differences. We talked about the state of civic discourse in and outside of classrooms, what it takes for dialogue to be productive rather than argumentative, and concerns about the absence of facts in too many of these conversations. Or as I put it, how everyone is an expert on everything without actually knowing anything. We all agreed that productive political dialogue in schools is almost an oxymoron, and that building students and teachers' skills around engaging in hot-button dialogue would be very, very valuable. Thank you for joining us. Hi, I'm Inika Kodestane, and I'm a high school junior from New Jersey. And in addition to being on the podcast, I'm also co-editor-in-chief of the Next Generation Politics blog. And today, I mean, I did just take my A-Push test. And like, I know that A-Push is supposed to be one of those classes where you're able to have, you know, vibrant discussion about current events and stuff like that. And I feel like that's something that a lot of students aren't really able to experience just because their curriculum doesn't allow for it or because schools have other problems with having those sort of topics discussed. So that's something I definitely like to talk about today. Hi, my name is Isaiah Taylor. I currently go to school in Queens, New York. I'm a senior, and I'm, I'm really just interested to see where we draw the line in terms of civil discourse in schools, because I know when I'm discussing politics with my teachers, they can't normally discuss it in a classroom setting because it's against the rules and regulations that are put in place. So I really just want to know, you know, where's the line so we can optimize it to be able to be discussed in the classrooms? Hi, everybody. My name is Jack. I'm a sophomore. I go to school at Regis High School. I recently finished my first next-gen civic fellowship. I uh, presented about freedom of expression, really excited, and learned a lot of really interesting things there. Today, I'm really interested and excited to see how we can talk about, I know at my school, we have a lot of discussions about like DEI and inclusion. And I think I find all of those discussions to be really valuable, but often unbalanced and sort of sometimes disconnected from reality. And so I'd be interested to raise some ideas as to how we can make those more grounded in what actually goes on and also more balanced so that people I know at least, especially in New York, which is a well-known liberal enclave, you know, people who feel more conservative or, or differently about sort of the main narrative can speak up. Hi, my name is Madeline Mays. I'm a high school sophomore from Brooklyn, New York, and I'm a Y voter and a civic fellow here at NGP, in addition to being a podcaster. And I'm very interested and passionate about community building and amplifying, which of course can be done through cross-partisan and bipartisan dialogue. I'm actually pretty interested in having those conversations outside of school where there might be less boundaries, uh, less rules to follow, and you're kind of just left to fend for yourself. I'm Eric Torres. I'm a PhD student at Harvard University, and I study issues related to political polarization and argument and civic discourse. Um, but I would love to just sort of hear your take on the state of political discourse in your lives. Like, how do you experience political discourse? Is it going well? Is it going badly? Sort of like whatever your first impressions are here. Political discourse isn't really something that you get a lot of access to in the classroom. In my experience, you have to rely on extracurriculars to really get that sort of experience. So like with next generation politics, you know, we're not all the same person. We don't all have the same beliefs. And therefore, we're able to have that sort of discussion that you're not like even on the podcast, we have that sort of discussion where you're talking to someone that's not necessarily on the same wavelength as you, and you're able to learn more about a topic. And I think 
like obviously all of us here we are to some extent passionate about politics that's why we you know took the time to be here but I feel like a lot of students they don't necessarily have an interest which is totally okay but I think schools need to be able to provide that sort of platform to have discussion even if someone is not necessarily going to go into political science because you know everyone is going to be part of democracy at some point like either you're going to vote you're going to run for office and there needs to be that sort of involvement for kids at all levels to have that sort of discourse and I feel like that's something that's really lacking in my life but it's something I definitely want to see especially in schools especially in like a classroom where you're supposed to have that opportunity to learn I think it's much more undefinable in my experience. You can't really have an umbrella term or statement to just define the level of political discourse or the quality of political discourse that I experience because it's pretty unexistent in my school life, but highly existent in my after-school life and extracurricular life. It's also somewhat relevant in my family, which tends to take place in the form of arguments as opposed to discourse or conversation. It's pretty unsettling because I have all these different levels of political discourse and I have to behave differently in each setting. Here at NGP, I feel much more comfortable to just share my opinions and share my thoughts and not have to hide away anything. Uh, When I'm with my family, however, I may not always feel that way. When I'm in school, I want to have these conversations. My teachers are just unwilling to have them though. So I think that it really depends on the circumstances and the setting and the environment. On a scale of one to 10, maybe about five to six. I mean, it really is hard to define it because there's a lot of disparity and a lot of different places where I discuss politics and civics and stuff like that. But for the most part in school is where I find that the polarization lingers the most and outside of school is where you get a lot of insightful people and comments and analytical judgments and stuff like that. But I find a lot of the time when I'm talking about politics, the person I'm talking to just doesn't know what they're talking about and starts rambling off these completely, I don't want to say stupid, but stupid things. Uh, In terms of me teaching people or giving my opinions, people are washing their hands now. so, So I think I did my part in terms of civil discourse. I definitely agree with Isaiah. He talked about sort of how people just like aren't informed. Something I find really concerning that happens on the national scale is that like people no longer care about facts and that it's sort of all like the meta narratives and like a just sort of a distaste for what actually is going on. And it's like, you know, I have a report that says such and such. Well, the scientific institution is rigged, so your report is false. Or, you know, I have a news report which says such and such. Well, the Times, Journal, New Yorker, Economist, whatever you want to say, is, you know, rigged against me, the conservative. So you're wrong. And I think that is really terrifying because it's a disconnect, because it's not necessarily like an, oh, this is a disagreement. It's like much more fundamental with that is that you like cannot communicate properly when that disconnect exists. I think that a lot of people, either our age and this generation or in older generations, confuse spreading like articles or Instagram posts for civic dialogue. The two are not interchangeable. Just because you're resharing a post does not mean that you're fueling conversation or debate or argument or actually sparking something in someone. I see too many posts being reshared on Instagram stories and not a lot of face-to-face conversations that actually are, are going to 
make someone realize I'm not educated enough on this topic or you're not educated enough on this topic or what's your opinion? That's also like a huge issue that needs to be addressed at some point as well. Context really matters when we're, when we're talking about political discourse, that it happens probably differently at, at a dinner table than it does in a classroom than it does on, on social media. And that the relationships between people in each of those spaces also matter to a good degree. And they, they sort of create bounds around how we, we can or at least enter these spaces and, and engage in this, in this political discourse. And so, I, you know, I wanted, to, I wanted to keep pulling on that a little bit. So I, I've been hearing you talk about what is and isn't working in, in classrooms. And it sounds like the consensus is that there's, there's a lot of evasion in classrooms. Partially, teachers are wary of getting into politicized arguments that might reflect negatively on them as sort of being biased it seems like maybe there are also, Isaiah's earlier point, that oftentimes if, if you're engaging with somebody and they don't share the same baseline information or, or aren't reasoning in the same way that you are, that can be frustrating. And so there are these questions about, you know, what are the parameters? What are we doing here? I wanted to start and talk a little bit about the social media space. I mean, do you engage a lot of in political discourse on social media? How does that different than how you engage in other places? You just know on social media, not everything's true. I mean, sometimes on Instagram. I'll see something uh, from a news source and maybe post it or, or whatever, but I'm not writing that off as the Bible or some kind of inscripted knowledge that is 110% true. In other places, I, I like to use multiple sources to prove my point, and you know, it'll be more of a drawn-out process instead of a five-minute research situation. And I find that on, on uh, social media, like Madeline said, people share these posts from random Instagram accounts and feel as though that is adequate civil discourse. It isn't at all because all you're doing is telling somebody something, not reasoning or seeing eye to eye or compromising with them. It's more of a matter of you're having a conversation to prove that you're right instead of having a conversation to learn more, generally more about the topic and the opposition of your viewpoint and stuff like that. So I'd say that on social media, it's everything is de facto BS. When you're on other platforms, however, it's more of a conversation. Yeah, social media sort of um, activism, quote unquote, was like something I used to do, I think, over the summer and like earlier this year. And then I realized like it just was not worth it. Like it's very, very hard to educate people, like whatever you want to call it, or talk to people, have conversations with people on social media. I, I would do this thing like you would repost something and be like, you know, talk to me about this or like it doesn't work in my opinion. It really doesn't work, especially if you're a teenager. Like we're teenagers, right? Like we're talking to each other as if we know what we're talking about. Like we really don't. And it's funny to see that because, you know, you're seeing like people post this, like it's the gospel, like they know exactly what it means. And like, they've talked to whoever wrote this article, they've read the entire 500 page bill. Like it, it doesn't make sense to really have conversations on social media, especially when you're our age. So I don't do it anymore. Like social media is purely fun now. I don't want to see any political discourse per se. Like, I don't want to see screenshots. Like, I'd rather just go straight for knowledge, if you can call it that, and then kind of separate it. Because from my experience, it doesn't work. It just fuels superiority complexes, if anything else, because you always have one person that's thinking that they know what they're talking about and trying to spread it to others. And like, it really doesn't work in the end. So although social media is a good way to spread information, it's also a bad 
platform for conversations and like discourse. From what I've seen, it's just fueling misinformation. I don't have Instagram. Really, Snap is my only social media, Snapchat. And you can post on your story to Snapchat. It stays up for 24 hours. Everybody can see it, and then it disappears. And oftentimes, people will post just like these long walls of text, which is like not warranted, just like statements, right? Like, a fetus is a clump of cells. Abolish all dress codes, right? Like, so-and-so and so, you know, insert 10 more really controversial topics here. And I think that is more like talking at somebody and less than talking with them. So... You know, I see those and I'm like, hmm, I like disagree with 70% of this, but I don't engage because I know that it won't bear any fruit, right? Like Inika talked about social media not being a good platform for conversation, like especially civic conversation. I definitely think that that's true. Like not only I would say that the culture of social media is like antithetical to having sort of controversial conversations, but also I would say just like the platform itself by virtue of like texting, it's really difficult to have like nuanced and extensive conversations about topics over essentially text. The reason why it is that way, it's because there's no boundaries. Even when you're talking face to face, there are boundaries because you can feel the room, you might feel uncomfortable, and that would prevent you from saying something or prevent the other person from talking about something too controversial. That's a main reason why I have not been present on social media in that manner, because I see a lot saying what's on their mind without any filter and people responding to those things without any filter. And that's because they don't see a person behind that screen that's going to actually see these texts and translate it into meaning and let that affect their emotions. The other thing about social media is that people will often say, if you don't repost this, you're part of the problem. Or I see your silence and that is backfiring. And it makes me uncomfortable because I consider myself to be a civically minded, a politically involved person. But I'm not comfortable reposting these stories from places I don't know where it's coming from. And then to my peers, they're perceiving me as something that I'm not. I hear that a lot. That rings true for me too. I have found myself over the years really questioning the way that I engage on social media and starting to ask myself, are, are my goals about appearing a certain way in front of my peers in order to show them what my ideology is versus like, am I, am I truly curious about what somebody has posted and, and do I want to learn more about that. And, you know, this isn't to say that there is a single appropriate goal that we should be bringing into these spaces, but it does bring to light to me how important, you know, being reflective about those goals is for entering in, into this discourse in a way that is going to meet your needs and potentially to advance the collective understanding on these issues rather than, than pulling people apart. And, you know, to that end, I, I would be interested in hearing how much the role of convincing people is at the front and center of your minds. And when you are sort of like talking about these politically charged issues, is this an opportunity for you to work out your understanding? Or is this an opportunity to sort of like get some people who you think ought to believe what you believe to take that perspective on? Convincing people really has slipped my mind when I'm talking about politics with people. I'm a conservative in New York City. There's a lot of arguing and I've come to find that convincing someone it's impossible because when somebody's made up their mind, they've made up their mind. I try to be more on the receiving end with the expectation to gain some insight into what other people that don't share my views are thinking. And I've found that that's a lot more productive. Uh, there's, I've learned a lot. And that's kind of why I, I don't like extremism in the first place. You start to realize that compromise is super important in terms of 
civil discourse. And oftentimes when I'm talking about it to somebody, they uh, get so much in the moment that they're no longer listening. They're just talking to prove their point. And, you know, unfortunately, that kind of leads to toxic conversations. On that point, I would say that for me, the only convincing that I feel as if I have to do is to convince the other person that I am still a good person or that I still have morals or I'm still a person you can respect, even if my opinions are different than that person's. I think that when I'm having any sort of conversation, the only thing that's like plaguing my mind is like, how is this person going to perceive me? Instead of how is this person going to perceive what I'm saying? I'm comfortable saying that I disagree with someone um, as like a center leaning person, but I'm not comfortable with the fact that the person that I'm talking to might think lesser of me because of those values. The question about these sort of relative moral standing that we have in the eyes of other people seems really important to me. And I think it's, it's one of these sources of anxiety that many of us feel. I don't know if, if that translates as well in the classroom or in one-on-one conversations with you, or if this is really something that, that sort of emerges from the dynamics of being asked to speak to a platform where you have many of your peers listening with that strangers. I'd be interested to hear any of you touch on that. Morality is subjective. A lot of people have a lot of different definitions for morality. So once you come to accept that, it's, it takes a lot of weight off your shoulders. For example, World War II, Hitler thought it was moral to have the Holocaust. Or right now, modern China. Modern Chinese leaders thought it was moral or thinks it's moral to put Uyghur Muslims in concentration camps in hopes to promote their culture instead of outside culture. A lot of different definitions come into play when you're talking about morality. So I think that thinking about that when having a conversation can almost hinder you a little because you're essentially speaking towards something that everybody has a unique idea on anyway. Honestly, I think morality should kind of be taken out the conversation when you're addressing something. I, I, I guess it depends on who you talk to, because a lot of people are very sensitive when talking about sensitive topics as well. We've, we've been circling around this, you know, this notion of relationships throughout a lot of uh, this conversation. I, I was struck by morality being one of the first things that we go to or that people sometimes test for or are thinking about. It emphasizes to me the importance of thinking relationally in our approach to interpolitical or intergroup dialogue generally. You know, for better or worse, oftentimes our attitudes about political issues are driven by who we feel like is on the other side of that issue as much as they are about the content of that issue. And so, you know, I I found that encouraging people to do some relationship building at the outset can kind of cut the fuse on on that um, thinking first through the moral lens about who is this person? Are they worthy? Similarly, it can help me feel less threatened by um, the person on, on the other side of this conversation. That is one really important technique here, if we're thinking in terms of techniques about how this can get better. I think that is true across context, but it feels particularly true on social media. You know, I do, I want to loop back around to this, this question about the role of the school. Some of the research that I have done and some of the work that I've, I've done as a grad student is involved talking to school leaders and, and educators in a lot of different contexts. And one thing that has been really heartening for me is that there's a surprising amount of agreement about teaching people the skills required to engage across political difference. There's a lot of disagreement about you know, how 
politics themselves should enter the classroom. But there does seem to be something like a consensus surrounding like wanting people to be able to talk politics. I don't know if that feels adequate to you all. I mean, do you want school to be a place where you can have these conversations about, you know, pressing hot button political issues? Or is it enough to be equipped with some skills to walk out into the world and then have those conversations? Uh, not sure. I know that at Regis, we've had sort of some sanction discussions about like current events. Like we had one in the wake of the Chauvin trial, we had one in the wake of the Capitol riots, but those all felt more like framed as reactions and like sort of reflections and less about like actual discussions of the cause. And so I think that like a political, a more robust like social studies or like political curriculum could be you know, engaged and, and maybe do that more with history. Like, I know we're learning about history and I think that maybe you accelerate the curriculum a little bit in your last trimester or your last couple of weeks is spent dealing with contemporary issues and maybe how they relate to history. I know that at my school, there's really robust, just like we have a super strong political club. There's like very robust discussion in the extracurricular space. And I kind of like that model because I think it let students be a little bit more free. Like, I really believe that, especially like in like the liberal enclave that is New York, conservatives do not speak up. That is like a really, really important thing. And so I think that sort of keeping it separate from like your school sanctioned, where, you know, you might be less inclined to share more controversial opinions is beneficial to that discourse. I definitely agree that, that we should be teaching people how to have those conversations in the classroom. I'm going to have to agree with Jack, honestly, because I had a uh, quote-unquote civil discourse class. It was named cultural studies, but really all we talked about was politics. And the conversations were very emotional and charged instead of insightful and productive. Even the teacher. There was one time where we were speaking on, I think about Ronald Reagan's presidency, and she addressed what I said for like five minutes straight. And I was like, well, what the heck? Why do I even speak here anymore? So that's why I agree with Jack in terms of having it more on the extracurricular side after school as well. And for the teachers, too, because I notice that whenever I go to after school, the teachers are they wind down. They feel a lot more comfortable. So it's more of a dynamic conversations. Everybody feels more comfortable after school and you have more time as well. You don't feel pressure to have the conversation quick and then you still have time for the lesson for that day. So something doesn't get addressed, something falls out of the equation. It's There's a lot more you could do with like an after school or outside of school program instead of school. I mean, take the NGP and YPO, for example. These were the first two programs that I've attended that have actually had conversations and created solutions. That I didn't get any of that in school. The schools have to maintain the, those after school programs, though, which is also another completely different issue. It's kind of hard to talk about how school should do it just because it's more than just, you know, whether you want students to be involved in like political issues or not. You have to balance like curriculum, you have to balance, you know, what parents think and what teachers think, what administration thinks. And it's really hard to get productive conversation, especially when you have a lot of limitations. And I feel like that's a huge part of it, just because there's no way you can have a productive conversation if you're constantly worrying about who's going to say what and whether you should censor it, whether you should promote that kind of discussion or not. And it's really hard to find that balance. I think having it as an extracurricular activity is really important, like speech and debate club or junior statesman of America or something like that. But I think that also 
has its own limitations because then you're only having the kids that are interested in having those conversations. Like it's really hard to find a good balance of like getting kids involved, even if they don't really think they need to be, because I think everyone should get involved to some degree. I think in school, you should definitely try to have like Socratic seminars. We had one in English class about morality, actually. And it was really interesting. It doesn't have to be like about what the president did or like a certain issue. But if you have like a a more like philosophical discussion or something that's less intense, less intimidating to talk about, I think you're, you're still getting the same objective completed, even though it's not really a political discourse kind of topic. My school doesn't have anything like there's no discussion. There's not even any skill based discussion. Like, here's how we would go about having this conversation. It's just sort of expected don't worry, you'll get to do this when you're in college. Or why Why do you need this now? You're only 16. You can wait a couple years, go to college. It has nothing to do with high school. That's pretty bizarre to me. They should at least be giving us the skills so that we can do this on our own time if schools aren't going to be the ones promoting them. At least teach us how to talk to other people like other human beings. Why does that have to seem so crazy and so bizarre? at least just give us the skills, at least just give us something so that we can actually have motivation to do it on our own if need be. You know, I've I've heard each of you sort of like refer to a few different domains that all seem to be bearing on this issue. There's learning philosophical practices for argument, and then some of these more maybe psychological practices related to how we engage people and make them feel comfortable. What are our own cognitive biases? Earlier, Jack was talking about misinformation, where and how we allocate trust in things and evaluate the quality of sources. You know, it poses a bit of a problem for the structure of schools often to think about like where this might land. And the consensus that I'm hearing is that at the very least, being prepared to engage in this kind of work is is close to the mission that you all would uh, hold up for schools. And I think I'd sign off on that. That's all for today with NextGen Politics. Special thanks to our editor, Clara Medina, our producer, Sanda Balaban, and to Jeremiah Hunt for our opening and closing music. Please check out our website at www.nextgenpolitics.org for links related to what we've discussed and to find out more about our work. And please recommend us to your civic-minded friends or to your friends you'd like to become more civic-minded. This is Maggie Yu for NextGen Politics.